Today's Encore presentation deals with a topic that many adult survivors in a congenital heart defect community may have to face, the possibility of needing a heart transplant. Today's show features two inspiring gentlemen. One of the men has already received a heart transplant. The other gentleman is still waiting. Please enjoy today's Encore presentation, The Miracle of a New Heart. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. the fifth season of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme this season is Miracles Do Happen, and we have two great stories to share today. According to the American Heart Association, surgery isn't always the first choice for doctors dealing with patients in heart failure. Now there are a number of devices that can be implanted in the heart to help it continue to sustain life on its own. Some of the devices used are valve replacements, implantable defibrillators, left ventricular assist devices, and even cardiac resynchronization therapy for those people in heart failure due to heart rhythm problems. Unfortunately, for far too many people, those devices won't save their lives. The only option for them is a heart transplant. Many people know that the number of people needing hearts far exceeds the number of donor hearts that are available. Today's show is entitled, The Miracle of a New Heart, and our guests are Stuart Watson and Eric McClintock. Stuart Watson was born in a small town in New Zealand in 1966 with detransposition of the great arteries. He had an atrial septostomy at eight days old and a mustard procedure in October of 1969 at two years and 10 months of age. Stuart led a fairly normal childhood, although he couldn't do much physical activity since stamina was reduced and exertion brought about sickness. Stewart survived multiple supraventricular tachycardia, or SVT, ventricular tachycardia, or VT, and atrial fibrillation, or AF, episodes through his 20s and 30s until 2007, when after massive VT attacks, Stewart ended up on the transplant list. His transplant was received March 21, 2009. Stewart has met his donor family and has a great relationship with them. Stewart is a board member for the national charity Heart Kids New Zealand. He created and runs a support group, which is now the largest single collection of DTGA adult survivors anywhere in the world. It provides one-on-one support for people going through transplantation. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna Stewart. Kia ora, Anna. Thank you. It's really good to be on your show, finally. I know. You and I have been talking about this just about since I began the show. So I am so happy you finally accepted my invitation. Sorry, yes, right from the very moment that you put it up that you were going to do the show. It is about time. We're in season five, Stuart. I really thought you'd come on <laughs> before now, but I am delighted that you're going to be sharing some information with us. You told us about the kinds of surgeries you had, but I'm curious where you had them since you were in a small town in New Zealand. Yes, I was. I was born in a small town called Fitianga which is a Māori name, um, but New Zealand was a small country and we meet our challenges fairly practically. So I was born in a tiny town. I had to travel by taxi 
from the hospital I was born in to another hospital a couple of hours away. There was no ambulances back in those days in small towns. I got to the second hospital and they suddenly realised that they couldn't help me either so that I was then transferred to a highly recognised cardiac hospital in Auckland, New Zealand called Green Lane Hospital led mm-hmm. by Sir Brian Barrett-Boyce who was in the 50s and 60s was one of the world's leading cardiac surgeons both adult and paediatric. So wow. yeah, it was three hospitals in three days and um, <laughs> surgery at eight days old. Unbelievable. That's just amazing. I can't believe you traveled by taxi. Your parents must have been beside themselves. Yeah, well, it was by taxi just with a nurse in, and there was the only practical method out of town. My father was actually a pilot, and he had offered to fly me, but they were too scared to have me at that altitude. So even though it was only a small plane, they said, no, I think we'd better go by vehicle. And the only vehicle that was really practical that could fit the oxygen equipment was a taxi. And now that taxi had to come from another town to get me. So that's oh our, our, small, our town had no taxis, no ambulances. <laughs> Get a fire engine. Okay. okay, so here's the first miracle already, Stuart, the fact that you survived the transport. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, probably. Wow. Unbelievable. And then how did you get to Auckland? uh, So from the second hospital, which was sort of a larger municipal town, they did actually have an ambulance there, and so they transferred me from ambulance from that hospital through to Auckland and to the Green Lane Hospital. Wow. Wow. That was Mm. quite an adventure to begin as a newborn baby. Unbelievable. It is. I don't really remember it, though, to be honest. Well, of course not. (laughs) But I bet your parents do. I bet your parents yeah, could they... explain with great detail what happened to you. Oh, my goodness. Well, when you were growing up, did you know of any other children with heart defects in your town? Since your town was so tiny, I'm really curious if you knew of anybody else with a heart defect like yours. No, I didn't. And I still think that it's a challenge for a lot of parents today. So I never knew any heart kids probably until I was, well into my teenage years before I met anybody, other than when I was at the hospital for clinic, we certainly did meet some children then, and my mum actually is still good friends with a lady of a boy that was born just a month or so before I was with DTGA as well. Oh, wow. So that's the only real connection with heart kids was at the hospital. Mm-hmm, right. And that wasn't uncommon for that day and time. Even when my son was born in the 1990s, that's how it was for us as well. It wasn't until the Internet became the way that it is now that we could actually find each other. I think that the reality is that it's still a really relevant thing, even right now, that a lot of families don't get to meet other families. And mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why Heart Kids New Zealand was started in 1984. Mm-hmm. My mum and dad had no support other than friends and family and families that they met at hospital. But even to the point that on the ward, my parents were only allowed into the room when there was no doctors in the room. So if a doctor mm-hmm. came into the room, they had to leave. And so life was totally different back then, and it was just the way it was, and they accepted it. My mum was not allowed to eat on the hospital ward. So if she wanted something to eat, she had to leave the hospital to go and eat. And when Heart Kids came along in 1984, obviously by then I was a teenager. In fact, I'd actually left school, as I'd done all my schooling. 
and I was out working. Mum joined, but she never really participated because my life had moved on. The mm-hmm. support that she needed was before that. But right. it's one of the reasons why I joined to Heart Kids as well is because I could see that I never wanted any family to go through what my parents had to go through. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways that I'm able to give back is through Heart Kids New Zealand and serving as a national board member gives me a bigger and clearer insight into how our organisation actually helps families and how we can continue to help families. Um, you know, We set strategies and courses. It's great. I love it. That's awesome. I love that too. Well, Stuart, I saw that you were listed for transplant in 2007, but you didn't receive your heart until 2009. Can you tell us a little bit more about what it was like to have to wait so long for your heart? Sure. Mostly it was boring. Because I wasn't wasn't able to do anything. Mm -hmm. Look, it was incredibly frustrating, but I think the key message for what you're asking for here is I wasn't able to walk much further than about 200 metres, and how I kept busy really actually came from people outside my home that kept me busy. I had lots and lots of friends helping. I made myself go and do the shopping every week while I was allowed to drive. For a while there, I wasn't allowed to drive, but I'd hang off the shopping cart walking around the supermarket for two hours. And the other thing, of course, that I did was I started up the Mustard and Sinning Survivors Facebook group and not really realising just how big it was going to grow. I just knew that there was a need to connect people and to provide support, and I probably did it really because I wanted the support, but it grew so fast and so quickly that now it's the biggest collection of mustard and sending survivors in the world. There's nothing that's bigger, and it's just fantastic the amount of support that's given on a daily basis, several times a day. That's amazing. That's just amazing. I love it. That's just amazing. Mm. Well, you know that the theme this season is miracles do happen. We already talked about one miracle, just your transport from one hospital to the next to the next, your taxi ride, and then the subsequent process to get you to the hospital where you could actually receive treatment. But what do you think is the biggest miracle that you have experienced or witnessed? I guess for me, from where I sit, It's obviously life to be able to live, to still have the opportunity to be at home with my family. Particularly, I've got two daughters, so I see that as my miracle, is that I'm still alive and still able to do that. Looking outside, for me personally, is the connections that I've made in my own life, connecting with friends who stepped up to help me when I never asked never ever forget that kind of thing and it was quite miraculous at the time because they just turned up and said Mm. what can we do to help and it was incredible and I think connecting from all over the world not just New Zealand or Australia but the United States, Canada, Mm -hmm. South America, Europe, England, all over the British Isles and connecting with people there that not only were helping me but they actually wanted support from me as well, and mm-hmm. I think it's made me a better person. I love it. And you helped to connect me with Eric, who is our next guest, so I can't wait to get into exactly. the second segment. This is so great. I love all the connections that have been made, and you're so right. It really is miraculous. When you stop and think about it, especially when you're old-timers like us, Stuart, and we remember what it was like even in the days before the Internet, what we can do today, the groups that we can set up and the projects that we can do, the support that you've set up in New Zealand, it really is quite miraculous. Well, thank you for sharing all of 
with that, Stuart, we do need to take a quick commercial break, but don't leave yet, listeners. Coming up next, we'll be talking to one of Stuart's friends, Eric McClintock, and we'll be back in just a moment. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is entitled, The Miracle of a New Heart, and our guests are Stuart Watson and Eric McClintock. We just finished talking to Stuart about his experience, a little bit, of living with his congenital heart defect and receiving his new heart. We didn't get to talk as long as I would like. Stuart, you're going to have to come back on the show again at another time. But we did get to hear about some of the miracles that he not only experienced, but some of the miracles that I'm sure the work that he did provided to other people with all the different connections he has made in the heart world. But now we're ready to turn our attention to Eric McClintock. Eric McClintock was born November 14, 1969 with detransposition of the great arteries and an atrial septal defect. At 45, he is the oldest survivor of the Mustard Procedure performed at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics and one of the older survivors in the country, if not the world. He has a 9-year-old son, Ethan, and is currently unable to work due to his heart failure. Although he had a fairly normal and healthy childhood, the past few years, since late 2013, he's had a significant decline in his heart function. He continued to see a gradual decline until his heart function leveled off after being placed on the transplant list last year. When first listed, it was very cathartic for him to jot thoughts down in a blog, which you can read yourself at http colon slash slash a new heart a new start dot blogspot dot com. I highly recommend you all check it out. I did, and I really enjoyed it. Eric just rolls with the punches and takes pride in staying as positive as possible, not just for himself and the ones he loves, but for others with CHDs and especially TGA. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Eric. Well, hi there. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Gosh, it seems so funny for you to say you're the oldest and you're 45 <laughs> because I'm a little older than you, and that doesn't seem very old, Eric. <laughs> I understand. Oh, but I love how you mentioned that you did last such a long time before you started to have problems. It's only been in the last couple of years that your heart has started to decline. I have another friend who's in a similar situation to you, also has DTGA, and is also now being considered to be put on the transplant list. So how common do you think it is for older TGA patients to eventually need a heart transplant? Well, you know, that's a very interesting question. I think all of us in the TGA community are sort of experiencing this emergence of heart transplant sort of in real time. And I know people with TGA that have had a transplant just in their teens and then mm-hmm. people in their 40s and 50s. So it runs a whole gamut of ages. It just mm-hmm. sort of goes into what other defects they might have or other medical conditions they might have that make their mm-hmm. heart stronger or weaker at a certain time. I wish we had a better answer to say you definitely will need a heart when you're 45, but I just don't think we're there yet. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think we are either. And I think what was really interesting was when I was doing the research to write the intro, all of the new implantable assist devices that have come up within the last decade or two, it's really pretty phenomenal. There are a lot of different drugs also that are available to help people who have certain arrhythmias. And if your heart's not pumping hard enough, I know you can get to Joxin. There are certain things that you can do aside from having to get a heart transplant. Have you needed to utilize any of those other kinds of special devices? Yeah, I've had a pacemaker since I was 25. And then just a couple of years ago, they went ahead and implanted an ICD and it hasn't gone off yet. But I think that having the latest pacemaker technology has really helped my heart rhythm, which is sort of my underlying reason for needing art. And I think that's a pretty common thing with TGA folks because there's so much scar tissue on our hearts from the work that the surgeon's done. Right, right. And not just TGA, but HLHS, HRHS, so many of the other critical congenital heart defects because they are operated on even before they're a year old. And for some kids, like my son, he had two surgeries before he was a year old. There is a lot of scar tissue. And for my son, we really didn't start to notice a problem until he was 10 years past his last surgery. And I think it's because it does take a while for that scar tissue to develop. So... I was so impressed with the information that you listed on your blog. I love your blog, Eric. It's so neat. I feel like I now know a little bit more about Iowa than I knew before, just from reading your blog and what it was like for you as a kid growing up. It was so much fun. So I really love what you talked about where you said that what you remember from being in the hospital was being in the wagon. I thought, all right, so that's what he retained. It wasn't the scary people in the white coats or shots or anything unpleasant, but it was those wagon rides that you remembered. So what was the worst part about now that you're an adult and now that you're having to wait for a heart, what is the worst part? I don't know if I have an answer for this, what the worst part is. I guess I would say the effect that it has on my family and my loved ones because this is the only way I know to live as a person with a heart defect. And people that come into my life here recently, they're kind of shocked at how I just sort of roll with the punches and don't really get down about everything. And I think I've had that my whole life, just sort of been able to take whatever the doctor suggested next and say, oh, well, okay, if that's what you think is best. And certainly I know that my son is nine and I'd like to see him grow up and Mm -hmm. I try to stay as positive as I can for that. And Mm -hmm. I think so far I'm doing a pretty good job. I sort of take pride in the fact that people see me as a positive person. The little secret is I think that helps me as much as it helps them. (laughs) I know what uh, you mean. (laughs) I don't think there's anything wrong with us as survivors sort of patting ourselves on the back once in a while and saying, holy Mm -hmm. cow, we have been through a lot. And Mm -hmm. there's no reason why we can't take on the next challenge. I agree. I agree. I love that. I think that's great. I want to see you in a wagon being pulled around when you get your heart. She needs to get a wheelchair that looks like a red wagon <laughs> and take a picture for us because you deserve it. Well, in keeping with this season's theme, what miracles have you witnessed or experienced in your life? Well, I think just the whole miracle of what the surgeons are actually doing with our hearts and mm-hmm. the fact that somebody could figure that out and to have the technical expertise to do that 
I mean, it's truly mind-boggling. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the surgical techniques are getting better and better all the time. And these pioneers, William Mustard, developed our surgery. I mean, he's like our hero. He's my hero Mm -hmm. just because he was so willing to do this. And it wasn't always easy. There were a lot of kids that he operated on that didn't make it. They perfected the techniques. And I think part of the reason why I forge on is because just my pride in being one of the people that had the opportunity to have this surgery and to carry on and mm-hmm. uh, it's hard for me to put into words but the feeling that's one of the strongest feelings in my life yeah yeah i think that is a miracle definitely i'm impressed that you're 45 years old and that you are one of the oldest and that you're able to articulate that that you appreciate the pioneers like Dr. Mustard and Dr. Senning who helped create these procedures to save people like you, like Stuart. My son was also born with TGA, but that wasn't the worst of his problems. The hypoplastic left ventricle and secortation and some of the other things he had going on were a little bit more worrisome. And so he ended up with a Norwood and a Fontan, which are two other great doctors who created procedures just like you're talking about. I think we're just so lucky that we get to witness so many miracles just by virtue of having these quote-unquote broken hearts. Just one other thing, too, is I agree with Stuart and the miracle of being able to connect with other folks. I was 43 years old, 44, before I met somebody that had the same heart defect as me. Wow. Wow, that is unbelievable. To actually meet them in person and shake their hands and stuff. and So that's been huge, and I don't think that would have happened without social media and that kind Mm -hmm. of connection. Because doctors have to keep their confidentiality and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, and But the fact that we can share so much of our experience with others, it really is a miracle. It really is. Well, we're going to need to take a quick commercial break, but don't leave yet, listeners, because when we come back, we'll have both Stuart and Eric in the studio at the same time and having them give us some words of advice. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is entitled, The Miracle of a New Heart, and our guests are Stuart Watson and Eric McClintock, and I have just so enjoyed talking with these two gentlemen. They're both so upbeat and uplifting, and I am very curious to hear what advice they have for us. So I'm going to welcome both of the gentlemen into the studio with me. Hi, Eric and Stuart. Hello. Good day. I am very happy for all of us to be together, and I'm going to start with you, Stuart. And first, I'm going to give you a chance, if there's anything that you wanted to say that you didn't get a chance to say in the first segment, I'll let you do that. But next, I also would like you to tell me the best advice that you could offer another CHD survivor who is on the path to cardiac transplantation. Okay. Well, first of all, I will just like to say that this is such a great show, and I'm proud to be part of the show, but I'm also proud to be your friend, Anna, and just be part of the journey that you've created here in offering support and awareness and guidance for congenital heart disease because without you and without shows like this, getting the awareness 
the wording and the support. That's the main thing why we're all here. Just mm-hmm. is so much harder. So I think what is the best advice I could offer a CHD survivor on a path to transplantation would simply be making sure that you have got a fabulous support network. Mm-hmm. Going through a transplant is not easy at all. It is not a cure. My head of my transplant team best described transplant to me as swapping one set of problems for another mm-hmm. set of problems. It's just the second set of problems are far more manageable and mm-hmm. you get quality of life. And that's mm-hmm. definitely been the case for me. But without a support network in place, and that includes somebody that can be right by you, particularly directly post-transplant, is so very, very important. So if anybody that's listening to the show is going through an evaluation for transplant, and I know I've already helped Eric through this, and I know he's got his support network in place, but it's just so important. You just can't go through a transplant without a huge support network. Get as many people on board as you can possibly get and get one very special person in your life to be your number one support person. That's the best advice I can give. That sounds wonderful, and that sounds perfectly on target. Eric, is there anything that you wanted to say you didn't get a chance to say in your segment? And I have a different question for you, and that is, is there anything that you would do differently when you were younger that you think might have helped to stave off your need for a heart transplant when you did? I don't think there was. I just sort of lived my life the best I knew how, and Mm -hmm. The heart is a muscle, and I tried to stay as active as I could without running marathons or anything like that because I knew <laughs> I couldn't. But I think right, right. in my later life, I've sort of learned how important it is to keep your mind right and to not get mm-hmm. down about things and to be mm-hmm. positive. I never really spent much time saying, why me? And Good. I think that's helped me tremendously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is really, really helpful. And I like how both you and Stuart seem to focus on the positive. I was really a little surprised when I asked what the greatest miracle was for Stuart that he didn't say getting a heart. It was about living his life. And I really actually love that. That's really quite amazing. So, yeah, I didn't think that you had done anything. Like you said, the heart is a muscle. And unfortunately, your muscle, Stuart's muscle, my son's muscle, it's not normal. (laughs) There was something wrong with it to begin with. And so I'm afraid that after a while, it just does get to a point where it can't sustain life anymore. And so I know that when Alex was born and we finally got the diagnosis, they told us, well, right now we can offer you this Norwood procedure, but if it doesn't work, the only option is transplantation. And they also did tell us fairly early on that he would probably need a transplant someday. Were your parents told that as well, Stuart? No, they weren't. And to be honest, I personally wrote through my whole life, even with all of the the drama that I had in my 20s and 30s and even in my early 40s, I never once for a single moment thought that transplant was even part of the journey until I actually got my VT attacks in 2007 ended up in hospital, you know, Mm -hmm. working a 40-hour week on a Friday, Monday I'm in hospital, Wednesday I'm being told I need a transplant. That's how fast it was. Oh, my gosh. What about you, Eric? Were your parents told or were you told before that that you might need a transplant? I think what sticks out for me is my parents were always told, well, he probably will not live to be one year old. And then it was five, and then it was a teenager, and now here I am, 45, and I still go to the pediatric clinic because that's where I grew up. 
Right, know? right. And Absolutely. Those doctors that have seen me for years and years, you just see their pride in their faces that they, yeah. they've done so well. And mm-hmm. I think now that the transplant is here, possibility of transplant is here, I kind of knew in the back of my mind for a long time that this might be a possibility because I was starting to slow down. And, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's the next challenge to come along, and I'm actually kind of looking forward to it in a way. So. I am too. I'm looking forward to having you back on the show after you get your new heart and you can tell us a little bit more about your journey and also looking forward to having more time to be able and go back and read some of your blog entries. Would you tell all of our listeners again the address for your blog? So it's a new heart, a new start. It's kind of all one word run together. Dot blogspot.com. Very good. Stuart, can you tell us the URL for the support group that you have going in New Zealand? Oh, okay. So in New Zealand, it's just heartkids.co.nz. So that's the organization that I'm part of. But anybody listening anywhere in the world, if you have DTGA and you've either had a sinning or a mustard, just get on Facebook and actually just search mustard or sinnings survivors. Mm-hmm. then our group will pop right up. Perfect, perfect. Well, you gentlemen were just absolutely wonderful. It was worth the wait, Stuart, but I hope it won't be such a long time before you come back on the show. Oh, I promise I won't be. I'll make sure of it. Okay, terrific. Well, we are out of time, gentlemen. I can't believe it. And so that does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thank you for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern Time for a brand new episode. During the month of February, also known as Heart Month, Heart to Heart with Anna will broadcast a show every day. On Tuesdays, we'll have a brand new show featuring our theme for Season 7, Congenital Heart Defects Around the Globe. The other days will be encore presentations with a brand new intro. If you'd like to know what shows will be featured, you can check out our website at www.hearttoheartwithanna.com. Please find and like us on Facebook. Check out our Café Press Boutique. Revenue from the Café Press Boutique helps to defray the cost of this radio show. Follow our radio show on Blog Talk Radio and especially on Spreaker. Once we get to 100 followers on Spreaker, we can petition iHeartRadio to carry our show. And then people can listen to Heart to Heart with Anna in their cars. Thanks again for listening. We know that congenital heart defects touch people all over the globe. So remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week.